Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast Pitch Perfect Powell, the Fed goes 75 as expected and hence it could slow the pace of future hikes at some point. Stocks roar higher with the Nasdaq posting its best session since the early days of the pandemic. Plus, a big meta miss, the stock dropping after disappointing results, a weak outlook and continued concerns about advertising and the economy will go inside the numbers coming up. And later, Spotify's big surge, Boeing's post-earnings U-turn, an activist push at PayPal and a healthy glow in one uranium stock will bring the headlines on all those trades. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq. On the desk tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman and Dan Nathan. We're going to dive into Meta's big earnings miss in just a moment, but we start off with that Fed-fueled rally on Wall Street, all three major indices closing near their highs of the day after Jerome Powell said the central bank could slow the pace of hikes. The S&P jumping 2.6 percent, the Nasdaq soaring more than 4 percent. And check out some of the individual names surging today. Alphabet, Microsoft moving on the back of earnings, both stocks posting their best day since April 2020. But then after the bell... Best Buy warned, cutting guidance for the year as it sees weaker demand, with Apple reporting tomorrow. May not be a good omen there. Will today prove to be a bear market mirage? Guy. Hi, Melms. Well, you got to listen again. Let's go back to June 15th. Last time we heard from Chair Powell, uh, the market rallied. The next day, the market got whacked on the back of the Swiss National Bank. But collectively, we said, you know what? So much pessimism. The market's probably going to rally into Apple earnings, thought 4,100, got close today. I'll stand by that. You know, I think today was the day that, you know, it's going to sort of culminate with this Fed meeting talking about uh, slowing the pace. Good luck with that. I think they have as much chance of that happening as any of us here on today's panel have at winning this now billion-dollar mega million. So I think the market's done what we thought it would do. I think today is a day that has exhausted itself, and we'll see what happens with Apple tomorrow. I feel like whatever the Fed says, it's sort of like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Hawkishness or dovishness is in the eye of the beholder. Tim Seymour, how did you how did you interpret some of these comments? Because to say that it may be appropriate to slow hikes at some point. Well, yeah, at some point he's going to slow hikes. And also uh, the notion that joblessness, it, it may not be a huge increase. It may not translate into a big jump in joblessness. I mean, that's that's a good hope there. It's a good hope. Like I interpreted it as a, a dovish Fed and, and the dovish uh, pivot that I actually was concerned the market had priced in too much of. They got uh, they got the Fed downgrading the economy. They got the Fed talking about weaker conditions, possibly weaker spending. Uh, that was what everybody wanted to hear. And then if you look at the Fed fund futures, we probably priced down 10 to 15 basis points as we got into 23. Uh, you're, you're now around 315, 320 as you get into March, April of 23. And you're you're basically flat from the end of the year. So uh, the market is clearly 
thinking the Fed is on pause. Look, let's be clear. I mean, 225 basis points this year is aggressive, uh, but a Fed that, that really has given you some sense of that they need to continue to put their foot on the pedal. But they also told you in no uncertain terms that they're a bit concerned about the economy. So I mean, translate, look, we've, we've talked about semiconductors. They were the biggest beneficiary, up almost 4.7% today, are now up almost 22% in 16 sessions. And, and the market has rallied 11% off of those floors. Do you, do you feel comfortable with the economy based upon earnings uh, and, and ultimately, therefore, putting the market down, you know, 14, 15 percent from all time highs on the S&P. Uh, that's the big question here, because we've had a big bounce back and I'm not sure it's it's all over yet. Was this a pivot in your view, Karen? Was this a possible pivot? Was this the prelude to a pivot? What was it in your view? I didn't, you know, you opened it by saying you heard what you wanted to hear. It's sort of that Laurel Yanni thing. I heard I heard hawkish. <laughs> I heard inflation is very concerning. I can't imagine that they are on autopilot to get to neutral rate, regardless of what the data shows. So I think that if we see hot inflation data, I think they're going to continue to be hawkish. And I think that's okay, because I think ultimately they need to get a handle on inflation. And I think Powell, I heard Powell is pretty concerned about that and that he sees that as job one. I don't think he sees preventing a bumpy landing as the most important thing. It's a, it's a byproduct. So I heard hawkish, and I think that's kind of okay. I think the Fed having credibility is a good thing. Dan, how about you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, listen, you know, I think the Fed is going to do what Guy says they've already done, but they're going to do it again and again and again. They're just going to keep painting themselves in a corner. Their inability to kind of really recognize the fact that, you know, the tightening um, or the weakening of economic conditions, right, by the tightening of financial conditions is clearly going to put us in a recession if we're not already in one. They obviously have a look at the GDP and they know that it's not going to be a negative print tomorrow or at least Q1 is going to be revised up. So that's just semantics here. But the idea that they're somehow going to avoid some sort of economic downturn, and then they're going to be able to thread the needle by some sort of pivot. After Tim just said, it's the fastest increase of two and a quarter points in, in Fed funds um, you know, history here. It just doesn't seem likely. So I guess if you're chasing the stock market right here because you think the Fed's going to pivot in the fall and we're going to start to get rate um, cuts next year or sometime early next year, I just don't think that's a great way to invest right now. That being said, some of the things that rallied the most today, maybe they do feel like they're a little bit overdone to the downside. Maybe valuations are starting to make a little more sense, especially if you don't think that rates are going so much higher. I mean, listen, there's a lot of people who feel like rates have to go much higher mid single digits to get to where inflation is. I just don't think that's going to happen because of all the debt that has been accumulated over the last few years or so. So to me, I don't know. I don't really think this is something you want to chase. We know the history of bear market rallies here. I suspect this is what we're in right now. But if this is truly a pivot, then this may not be a chase. Right. I mean, isn't this the big signal that investors were actually waiting for? This is why we saw the high. We just had a screen of high multiple stocks that did really well in today's session, because we are to believe that there's a pivot in store and that rates on the long end are going to be contained. Then this is your ticket, right? It's the all clear. Tim, I'll go to you since you do believe that this was a pivot in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I don't think you can dispute that what, what, what happened today. I mean, the market said that the Fed's not going to be as aggressive as we thought they were. The market peaked in terms of rates on June 17th, uh, the last Fed meeting. And, and we've come in right? by almost 70 basis right? points. Well, 
It, 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 on some level, it doesn't matter because uh, I, I'm not going to tell you that I think the Fed is going to take their foot off the gas. I'm going to tell you uh, that the market has interpreted and they got enough today uh, to bring this sense that the Fed is, again, they talked about spending. They talked about uh, the dynamics in the economy enough to have people believe that they're uh, those that thought that the Fed was going to break something, uh, that, that in fact, maybe they won't break something. And, and I'm not telling you that's right or wrong. I'm not telling you whether they, they, they said today that they're going to pause. I don't think they're going to pause. I don't think they should pause. I'm just telling you that the market for three weeks has rallied mostly, not on earnings, uh, on the sense that the Fed had seen the peak of some inflations on the good side and that we were getting enough economic data to also tell you they're going to have to uh, ease up a little bit here. That's what the market tells us. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw that clearly today. One doesn't necessarily preclude the other in in terms of it being perceived as a pivot, it being time to rally, um, but it also being a rally within a bear market guy. So where do you stand on on how the market is reacting? Fascinating. Well, I think it's done what we thought it would do. I mean, if you just go back and listen to some of the things we've said for the last sort of month, month and a half, I mean, it's somewhat come into fruition. It's gotten there in sort of weird ways, but here we are. I, you know, I think... This is what I think. I think 10-year yields going lower in this environment is a bad thing. I don't think it speaks to uh, a robust economy. I think it speaks to a slowing economy. I think an inverted yield curve is probably a bad thing. And I think a Fed that's potentially going to pivot is going to be a bad thing because the inflation that they're trying to combat is just going to get right back out there again. Again, listen to the Walmart call, and I think it tells you all you need to know. Inflation is first and foremost, Karen said it, and if the market goes down, that to me is just collateral damage at that point. And I think they accept that. I think they're probably thrilled that the market's gone high over the last month. I just don't think it's going to last for very long. You know, there was something interesting that Jay Powell said during this news conference that really struck me, and that is this notion that he said in the second half of the year, it should the economy should be okay, effectively because there's so much money on people's balance sheets and there are many job openings out there, which is, which is sort of working against him, Karen, in some way, and makes that battle against inflation so much harder in terms of trying to put enough grit in the wheels of the economy to slow things down. Yeah, I was actually a little bit confused by that. Um, So I agree. I I didn't know exactly what to make of that. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if the the number of job openings ends up changing because we see a lot of layoffs, more anecdotal, not everywhere, but um, or if more people come into the labor force. I don't know. I was a little confused by that. But one thing I want to say, though, is that I think they still have inflation as job one, but I also think inflation is coming down. But they're still very, very far away. Both things can be happening at the same time, Mm -hmm. that inflation is coming down and the Fed needs to raise. And I think that is what they will do. Let's get to our other big story this hour, and that would be Meta's big miss. The company formerly known as Facebook posting its first ever revenue decline. The conference call is currently underway. Let's get to Julia Borson to break down the quarter. Julia. That's right, Melissa. Meta shares are trading lower on that first ever revenue decline and lower than expected top and bottom line results. The company's guidance, and this is the key thing here, the guidance fell short of expectations, guiding to a range of between 26 and 28 and a half billion dollars. That's short of the 30 and a half billion that analysts were looking for. 
CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying just moments ago on the call that the economic downturn will have a broad impact on the digital ad business and that it's hard to predict how long that downturn will be, but he said the situation seems worse than it did a quarter ago. Zuckerberg also noted that they've seen a more than 30% increase in time spent with Reels, that's the new new format this quarter, and that's across Facebook and Instagram. Um, before the call started, just before I spoke to Meta CFO Dave Weiner, he pointed to the strength in the company's engagement with daily active user growth of 3% higher than expectations. He also noted that broad-based deceleration across ad verticals and both direct response and brand advertising, noting particular weakness in e-commerce. Now, Weiner also noted that in terms um, of spending, they are being more focused and disciplined on spending the metaverse and across the board. The company did lower its 2022 total expense guidance to between 85 and 88 billion, down from a prior outlook of 87 to 92 billion. But Weiner did say that they are investing in the metaverse for the long term. Melissa? Julia, keep us posted. Thank you, Julia Borston. Uh, Dan Nathan, of course, the stock was up 6.5% going into this print from today's session, today's rally alone. Yeah. So what do you make of the quarter? Yeah, so it rallied, I, I think, into last Thursday when Snap reported and Friday was down 40%. The stock had rallied 20% off those lows in June. So here it is now. I mean, that guidance, there was nothing really good about it. I think the good news here, if you're a shareholder, I am a shareholder, um, is that they're getting closer, right, to probably bottoming out, at least with that spend. And and really, I guess, the concern about the pivot, you know, the good news is, and, and Julia just mentioned, that 3% DAU growth, that's daily active users, nearly to about $2 billion right with monthly active users at three billion when they get that pivot right right they're going to be able to monetize um, those users if they don't lose a whole heck of a lot of them so to me i think the pivot is obviously they knew they saw some things coming right with some of their core products here when they talk about reels and they really talk about what that is what they've turned instagram is i don't think kylie jenner loves it so much but they're making it more and more like TikTok. so to me yeah the story's messy there's been some management that left but the one thing I'll say is that trading about 13 times next year, when you think about that, you think about that cash position and you think about something that somebody who was the head of product um, at Instagram for years said this to me last week. He said, listen, Mark Zuckerberg was not a well-liked peacetime CEO, but don't bet against him as a wartime CEO. And I thought that was really interesting to me. So I don't know. I, I, this one, it feels like it's just a little bit closer to being at a bottom. We haven't seen many wars with Mark Zuckerberg as the general here. Um, it, the comments though, that he made uh, about the difficulty in predicting the turnaround or the bottom in terms of ad, the ad spending environment and it seeming to be a little bit worse, that with the dy- dynamic, Karen, that ad prices, ad pr- impressions are going up, but ad prices are going down, I thought was very interesting. Yeah, interesting. Not in a great way if you're right. a shareholder. Um, obviously, like the impressions up, but not the price down. I think you know. So they sort of pulled forward from yesterday. Um, what I think was a response to uh, I saw the quarter. The quarter itself described as lackluster, which I think was good enough. Clearly, it was that guidance. And I don't know if they're sandbagging a little bit. I was. Uh, I hadn't heard the decrease in the expenditure number, so that was maybe a four billion dollar shift, which is is meaningful. Um, so I don't know. I come back to valuation. It certainly wasn't priced in to, you know, hit the ball out of the park. So um, to me, not a ton has changed. Obviously, I'm going to want to hear the call and get some of the nuance um, from how they view not just the um, not just the ad market, 
but uh, their business and really what they can do. Expenditures, $4 billion, sounds like a lot. I'm wondering if actually they could do more. All right. We will have much more in Meta's quarter later on this hour. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures will join us to break down his thoughts on the results, get updates from the call. Coming up, we've got a lot more earnings action coming your way. Qualcomm, ServiceNow, Ford, all on the move after reporting. We'll bring you the numbers next. Plus, more on the market reaction after the Fed's big rate hike, the real money impact, and how you should position your, yourself going forward. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Tim, how do you trade Qualcomm here? Well, you, you, you traded from the long side into this number. I mean, the stock was up 32% in the month going into this. Um, I think the, the cautious smartphone sales, and again, they, they had been flat on smartphone sales, and they've just now reguided down 5% is, is of a concern. I, I love the auto segment at records, especially for the Outlook and an increased auto book. Um, valuation, not difficult. Uh, you're not necessarily chasing it on valuation. Uh, I do think you let this one settle in. I think the entire semi-space, as we talked about earlier, has just been flying. And, and again, the smartphone segment still something there, I think, very much tethered to. It's been a great run for the stock. This pullback is actually probably uh, appropriate. The comments about the relative strength in uh, higher-end handsets versus lower-end handsets, though, seems a little hopeful, maybe. Dan, if, you w- if one wanted to be hopeful, especially when it comes to, you know, Apple's results. Yeah, so tw- Apple's so you a go 23% to Dan? Co- <laughs> yeah. Well, I did that out of <laughs> irony, but yes, I go to Dan. Okay. Yeah, Apple is a 23% customer of Qualcomm, right? So the read-through there is that. And I think over the weekend, there was some um, reporting that possibly Apple was offering some short-term discounts on some mid- to low-end phones in China, which is kind of interesting because that is obviously a, a place of concern for demand. And then we also know that they're going to have some issues there as it relates to just kind of supply chain, maybe manufacturing, that sort of thing. So to me, uh, you know, the fact that Qualcomm is not down a whole heck of a lot, I think that what the last couple of days in major tech earnings has shown us is that really since Snap last week, and again, that might be a very isolated situation here, is that even if you kind of miss a little and your guidance is not as bad as expected, it's probably not going to be a disaster on the stock front at this point. So he was a little hopeful. Dan can be hopeful. Dan can be hopeful. 
contrary to popular belief. Uh, let's get to service now. Also on the move after reporting Q2 results, shares sinking after an earnings beat, but slight revenue missed. Subscription revenues up 25% year on year, but the company is cutting its full year guidance on that line item. The revised numbers coming just two weeks after CEO Bill McDermott warned that the strong U.S. dollar is hurting the tech sector. And here we are, um, service now down 6%. Guy. Yeah, well, it's given back what it made during the day. It should be mm-hmm. down a lot more. And valuation is still, to me, is still pretty much of a concern. So the stock bounced. Um, I'm surprised that it bounced as much as it did. I think there's more downside here. I mean, I think this is probably worse than people expected. I'm surprised it's not down more. Quickly about Qualcomm. I mean, it's pretty defensive. That 122 double bottom from October holds up, I think. And, and again, in terms of valuation, I think in terms of the chips, it's about as good as it gets. Karen, which one uh, do you want to trade here, ServiceNow or Qualcomm? Qualcomm, I guess, just on I can, valuation on ServiceNow, as Guy said, even though it's down, uh, you know, still valuation is very rich. Interesting, though, about their comments about handsets. And then on the flip side, you have the Best Buy news, which you could read as slightly negative. So really noisy around Apple going into tomorrow. All right. Uh, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The Fed strikes again. Powell and the central bank hiking interest rates as the battle against inflation rages on. And markets seem to like it. So where are stocks headed next? Plus, the earnings keep rolling in. And speaking of rolling, forward results are en route. The details and numbers straight ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another look at how stocks close out the trading day. Wall Street embracing Fed Chair Jerome Powell's remarks about potentially slowing the pace of hikes. The Dow up 436 points, while the Nasdaq spiked 4%. But our next guest warned stocks are on a collision course for more pain. Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and CIO. He is the street's second biggest bear. Um, I don't know how you feel about that title, Mike, but there it is. Uh, so you didn't think this is a pivot today because that's how the markets interpret, interpreted it. Well, no, I mean, look, it's the beginning of the end. OK, I mean, we wrote about this a lot in this week's note where, you know, the market has been a bit stronger than you would have thought, given the growth signals have been you know, consistently negative. Even the bond market is now starting to buy into the fact that the Fed's probably going to go too far and, and drive us into a recession. So, you know, beg the question, like, what, what is the market excited about? 
And I think what it's trying to get excited about is that we are getting closer to the end of the Fed hiking campaign. Is that, you know, is this the last hike? Uh, probably not. Could it be? It could be. Depends on how fast things deteriorate. And the, mar- and the market always rallies once the Fed stops hiking until the recession begins. The problem with that, Melissa, this time around is that it's unlikely there's going to be much of a gap this time between the end of the Fed hiking campaign and the recession. So there's no window in there like there normally is. And so I think ultimately this will be a trap. You know, it'll probably go another, I don't know, it could go to 4,100, like Guy was saying. I think that's a good number, 4,150. But, you know, every dollar we rally from here, uh, it makes the risk reward worse, not better at the index level, that's for sure. Yeah, it's the quote, Simon and Garfunkel, man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And the rest is, you know, no matter what you think, inflation might have peaked at what 9.1. But, you know, even when you take commodities down 30 percent, you're probably still talking about a CPI that's going to live in the high to l- high sixes, low sevens. So they got a job in front of them still. And again, in this environment, you know, what's the right multiple to put on stocks, given the fact that their job is not, not nearly over? Well, that's right. And it's not just about the multiple guys, you know, it's about, well, how far do the numbers have to come down on earnings? I mean, we've we've tried to frame this for clients as, okay, you have two outcomes in front of you, either a soft landing or a recession. And even in the soft landing scenarios, as we've analyzed, we think there's probably about $15 of earnings risk at the S&P level, meaning 225 as opposed to 240. Okay. And that would, that would suggest that you still have downside to probably 3,500. In the recession outcome, it's much more severe because in that scenario, we think earnings could be as low as 195 on a forward basis when you get to the final end of the cuts. And so now you're talking low 3,000s, maybe as low as 3,000. So look, if, if I, think it's, I think it's really important to frame every investment in terms of what's your upside versus your downside. And you know, I think a lot of investors or a lot of people uh, who maybe say things about being bullish or bearish, they don't frame it that way. They just say, hey, the market's up, and so it's good. Well, I mean, you're taking a lot of risk here to achieve whatever is left on the table. And to me, that's just, you know, that's not investing. I mean, it's not what we do. We put clients work, you know, money to work. We're trying to give them a good, you know, risk reward. And right now, the risk reward, I would say, is about 10 to 1 negative, right? That's just not great. Mike, I wanted to ask you about the comment that uh, the Fed chair made during the, the press conference, and that is that the, the sec- in the second half, the economy should do okay since there are many job openings and there's a lot of money on people's balance sheets, which seems to me, we were talking about this earlier, um, it seems to me it would make the Fed's job even harder in terms of trying to tame inflation, which, you know, opens a door to, to possibly an even more bearish scenario, and that is that even though markets see this as a pivot, that it's really not, and the job is much harder ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm more in the camp that I think inflation is going to come down pretty fast when, you know, demand falls off. So I, I appreciate that there's still a lot of cash out there and, you know, some uh, consumers still have the ability to spend, but it's getting to be a smaller group. I think it's pretty clear that, the you know, the bottom 80 percent is pretty is struggling here. They're, they're spending on most of their discretionary income on necessities and the upper you know 10 percent is always fine and maybe the upper 20 is OK. And, and look, if you just get consumer confidence and kind of how things are, are playing out in the economy. We have an election to look forward to or not look forward to. I mean, the sentiment's not great. So even if you have the money, you know, I still I think consumers are going to be a little bit more uh, you know, reserved with how they spend that. That's been our call all year. I think it's playing out now. Now we have excess inventory in some areas, so that'll be some price degradation that will lead to lower margins. So look, it, I think we're getting closer to the end. I mean, the fair market's been going on for a while. It's played out in many ways. But the problem is, is that, you know, it, it, it won't quit and we need to have that final move 
And I don't think the June low is the final move. All right. Mike, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. And, you know, that's exactly what we heard, Tim, from a Walmart, from McDonald's, even Chipotle when it comes to those who do have the money to spend. They spend it on $20 burritos or whatever you get at Chipotle. Um, but we're, we're getting confirmation of all of this all throughout earnings season so far. Now, Chipotle basically said that actually it's a better time for them because they're getting a higher frequency visit from those people who have the money to spend. And Walmart um, has a different crowd, although mm-hmm. um, there certainly is a trade down that's offsetting. We heard the same thing from McDonald's. Uh, people that are spending more time in fast casual are going into fast food. Um, I, I think part of the point Mike's making also is around recession. And we will get these GDP numbers out tomorrow. And, you know, technically, d- despite what it says, uh, we have a job market right now that that also the Fed really. Um, still has some room, I think, because jobs, um, while maybe we have had peak labor, job market hasn't fallen out of bed yet. And I think that's, you know, if I had to summarize what we've seen so far in this earnings season so far, it it hasn't been a demand headwind. I don't think we've heard it from anybody, really. Um, I think there's been some downgrades. There was some pull forward, but it's more still been about margins, mostly been about inventory dynamics uh, and, and what you should pay for stocks in this environment. Uh, I, I just think, look, markets had a tremendous run. NASDAQ's up 15% off that bottom. Um, I still think we have a Fed in play without a Fed put, and, and I think earnings aren't getting better. Um, they may not be getting a lot worse, but they're not getting better. All right. We got a news alert we want to get to out of Washington, D.C. Senators Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin reaching a deal on the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's get to Elon Moy on the fast line. Who's got the details? Elon. Yeah, that's right, Melissa. This is a surprise announcement from Senators Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. And this package would essentially impose new taxes on corporations and the wealthy to pay for new spending on health care and clean energy. The deal includes a 15 percent corporate minimum tax on large businesses. Manchin indicated that could be applied to businesses with about a billion dollars in revenue or more. It would also close the carried interest loophole step up IRS enforcement, and allow Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. Now, altogether, the senators estimate this would raise $739 billion over the next decade, and that would go toward paying for $369 billion in energy and climate policies and $64 billion toward extending the Affordable Care Act subsidies through 2025. There would be an additional $300 billion left over that would go toward paying down the deficit. Now, in a joint statement, Schumer and Manchin said that this is a historic down payment on deficit reduction to fight inflation, invest in domestic energy, and reduce carbon emissions. Melissa, this is going to be sent to the Senate parliamentarian tonight to get scrubbed for um, make sure all the language is correct, uh, make sure it sort of passes muster. Um, But the plan is for the Senate to vote on this as soon as next week. Melissa. Mm -hmm. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy with uh, the latest on what is being billed as the Inflation Reduction Act. Dan, your take on this. Yeah, no, I think if these are priorities that are important to you, I think this is a big win. I think there was a time that they were hoping that this would be a bigger package. Um, I do think that the headline um, that, that says this deal would close the carried interest loophole, that's something that's been bandied about a lot. And there's been a lot of people in our business who don't want to see that happen here. So I think that's interesting that that was a part of it. All right. Coming up, more details on Meta's quarter. Gene Munster, Luke Ventures will join us next to break down his thoughts on the company's results. Plus, Ford driving higher after a big beat on the top and the bottom lines. So the details from the report when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Meta after posting its first ever revenue miss. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures for more reaction on Meta's numbers. He's been dialed into the call since the top of the hour. Um, any uh, highlights from the call so far in your view, Gene? And what do you make of the quarter overall? Uh, Melissa, it was bad as a shareholder. It was bad, but about as bad as the rest of the tech companies and advertising down 1%, YouTube down 5%. Uh, they guided down for 2% at the high end of their range. Snap was flat, so it was negative. But there was signs of positive, and you saw a little bit of movement in the stock in the aftermarket, or at least when the call started, a small move up when Zuckerberg started to outline some of the impact of reels. I know you'd covered it earlier in the show, but let me just uh, recap here. They've done a billion in reels revenue. I suspect that's life to date, which you implied that that's about 5% of revenue today. It was zero a year ago. Engagement in it is up 30% quarter over quarter. I suspect it's probably 15% of total engagement. And lastly, it is accretive to total time spent. This is all about fighting TikTok. And it seems that they have some of the, the, the pieces in place to do just that. Hey, Gene, it's Karen. One of the things I was um, want to hear your opinion on is the CapEx cut. Um, is it enough or do they still need to spend so much? What, what, are, they, what are your thoughts there? Step in the right direction. Uh, they talked about uh, being more disciplined around their hiring. Uh, they basically suggested that for 2022, they'll reduce the CapEx by 3% versus their prior guidance. Uh, but Zuckerberg is in this mode of either get on the ship, uh, get on board or get off. And I suspect that there's going to be future uh, reductions. As I mentioned, you know, one of the reasons uh, we are owners, one of the reasons is we believe that he's going to be more aggressive at some of these cuts in 2023. Uh, so I suspect that uh, it's 3% today. It's a starting point, And I suspect we'll see more of it. And it really sets up next year to be a good year relative to earnings because all this pain that they're having right now, whether it's revenue growth or on the earnings side, that should be easy comps next year. The comments that Zuckerberg has made so far about uh, the ad spending environment, Gene, and it being worse than before. I'm wondering if you think this is sort of sandbagging or, I mean, what does this mean, particularly for players out there like a Snap who, you know, arguably would be much worse positioned to whether this unpredictable downturn. So he talked about the macro, the term that uh, Cheryl used was turbulent times on the call. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, they also talked about the impact of IDFA, the impact of FX. And this isn't uh, sugarcoating it. Uh, it is uh, that you need to look at all the layers here. And part of their guidance, they're gonna have a bigger FX impact. All companies are gonna have a bigger FX impact. But that's something to keep into context here. And so. When you think about the advertising push, they're effectively trying to wean advertisers off of stories and move them onto reels while advertisers are pulling back and they're still uh, finishing navigating uh, the comps on IDFA with Apple. Uh, as a reminder, that came out in April of 2021. So this is the last full quarter where they essentially will see essentially the comps related to IDFA start to get easier in the September quarter. So, Melissa, I would say I was expecting to get on the call and, and them really to throw the macro under the bus and talk about advertisers moving in a different direction. They attributed uh, probably a third of the guide down related to that and two-thirds related to FX and IDFA. All right. Uh, Gene, good to get your take as always. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster of Loop. Guy, what do you think? 
I don't think we're going to see the 154 level. I think in terms of the stock, I think the worst is over. This, this has a kitchen sinky feel to it in terms of the guide. And we'll see. So the, the good news is valuation has not been and is not a concern at these levels. But I got to just push back on something that Dan said earlier in the show and to sort of paraphrase and plagiarize Lloyd Benson. You know, I knew Tom Hagen and Mark Zuckerberg is no Tom Hagen, Dan Nathan. Just throwing that out there. All right, Mel, you got you got to let me in here. He's going for a wartime consigliere here. That's what guy is doing because oh. everything goes back. Everything goes back to the Godfather. I'll just say this. I think there's a very strong chance. We keep hearing about TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. I think there's a good chance that at some point in the not so distant future, TikTok gets banned in the U.S. And can you imagine what a tailwind that would be for Facebook and for Snap? Yeah, it, it would be huge. Um, let's get to Ford, though, here. Uh, we got an earnings alert there. The stock is climbing after hours after the company beat expectations on the top and the bottom lines. Revenues boosted by sales of SUVs and crossovers. Operating income more than tripled from a year ago when the semi-shortage hit production. Ford saying it was able to build more cars, even in the face of ongoing supply chain issues. Up 6%, Tim. Yeah, and, and a $4 billion commodity hit. But the dynamics around this company are that they are executing and, and they're executing and they're outperforming their industry. Uh, if you look at their, their production growth year over year relative to the group and at 205 a share, we do this all the time with the autos. It doesn't seem to matter, uh, but it should give you some confidence. Also, their commitment to the dividend and where they, uh, I think, are going to continue to be. So, um, you know, you're at six and a half times or four and a half times EBITDA, six and a half times earnings on next year. It, this is a stock that to me is very interesting as not given enough credit for the EV business and, and arguably uh, you're pricing their internal combustion engine business for free. Um, so I think the auto's uh, badly beaten. Ford has outperformed GM by almost 30 percentage points on a one-year basis. Um, I think GM should play catch-up, but I think both are great places to be. Should GM play catch-up, Karen, or is Ford, does Ford deserve that premium? I think they do. Uh, GM should be trying to play the catch-up. I mean, they had great North American numbers. Europe and China were a little light, but that's not surprising. And they just seem to be executing better. So, yeah, GM really needs to play catch-up. But I'm sure Mary Barra feels that pressure immensely. Yeah. Coming up, markets rallying hard after the Fed's big rate hike. But a few names in particular caught our traders' eyes. Those stocks straight ahead. But first, Apple earnings on deck. And shares have seen a big run-up over the past month, so we're diving into the options pits to see how traders are playing the tech titan. Pass Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Believe it or not, there are still more major big tech earnings reports coming our way this week. Apple and Amazon on deck after the bell Thursday. There's lots of options activity in both names. One trader's betting that at least Apple is due for a big move higher. Mike's got the action. Mike Co. Yeah, so Apple right now implying a move of about 3.8% after they report earnings. That's in line with the 3.7 or so that they've averaged over the last eight quarters. Flow overall was bullish. Calls exceeding puts and bullish bets. That's call buyers uh, exceeding bearish bets, meaning put buyers. And what we were seeing was the most activity in the 160 strike calls that expire at the end of the week. About 50,000 of those were trading buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock is going to go above that level. Now, Amazon also expecting some even bigger moves of about 6.5% and also seeing some bullish activity there as we did in Google as well as Microsoft, which also saw a lot of bullish activity following their results. Um, what do you make, Guy, of the setups of both of these stocks going in? 
Well, I, as I said last night, and I, I gave an HT, as they say, to Carter Worth, Amazon to me looks like a pair of twos. I don't think, I personally don't think the setup for Apple is particularly good, given we bounced from the mid 120s to the levels we're currently trading at against the backdrop of hearing from what Best Buy said and all these different uh, stories that are out. So despite the fact that people seem to be playing it from the bull side, I don't think the setup for Apple is all that good. The lumping together of Amazon with Walmart, though, may may give it a little bit of a boost, though, Tim. It's interesting. It's also interesting that Amazon could have had Walmart headwinds uh, plus Azure headwinds uh, yesterday from Google, although I mean from Microsoft, although, again, mm. Azure was strong, but it wasn't as strong. And, and I, I just think uh, the dynamics around Amazon to me, I think you've priced in absurdly difficult comps. I think you've priced in a ton of pull forward. And I, I still think that Amazon is of the major mega caps. Um, the one outside of Google, I think, is the most interesting to own here. All right. Um, Mike thank you for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, stocks surging after the Fed's big rate hike, but a few stocks stood out. Our traders will break down why you should be watching these names. Fast Money's back right after this. Let's uh, check out some fast movers today. A number of stocks catching our traders' attention. First off, Boeing starting the day well in the green, rising more than 4% at its highs, but losing altitude throughout the session, closing basically flat. Guy, what did you make of this move? I see what you did there. Tim brings this up correctly all the time. It's a free mm-hmm. cash flow story, and this is the best news you've had in a long time. But the stock basically opened right around the highs, traded up to 162, gave it all back, closed unchanged on a great day for the market, having rallied some 44% in a month. So it makes you wonder, is that all for the time being? So it's something to watch. Traded 16 million shares, typically trades 10. I think a lot of people took the money and run today in BA. All right, let's get to Spotify. The stock's seeing its best day since January after earnings. Uh, Dan, you're pointing out this move. Um, So what'd you make of it? Yeah, the thing that really stuck out to me, Mel, was that, you know, in the quarter, they did $365 million in advertising revenue that was up 31% year over year. Obviously, they, these guys have made a big push into podcasting, and I'm sure that has something uh, to do with that. But again, they're probably a positive read through from Netflix. Think about the move that Netflix has had since it reported its earnings, you know, a little more than a week ago. So to me, there are areas, uh, I guess, in the consumer internet space that are kind of bucking some of these, um, you know, kind of advertising or digital advertising fears and spotify is clearly one of them here and again that stock maybe feels like it's trying to make a bottom here down 50 percent on the year united rentals is up on earnings uh that's one of yours karen yeah so it was up 11 dollars in the session today and then it looks like up 11 dollars. i don't know where we got that print um in the aftermarket They have a call tomorrow morning, but um, a big guide up, a guide on revenue, guide on productivity, which is a combination of utilization and price on the the equipment they rent, a big guide up on cash flow, balance sheets in great shape. They try to not be below two times debt to EBITDA. They'd rather give the money back to shareholders. So we'll hear something about that. Um, Excellent work by URI. All right. And uh, Kamiko, the uranium miner, jumping on its report, Tim. Yeah, color me perplexed on why uranium doesn't do better in this market. We all know the tailwinds here. We've all seen the headlines and we've even seen the legislative path forward. They were up 80% year over year on the quarter for revenues. They are 60% of every new contract signed in yellow cake, also known as uranium oxide. And, and they have a great balance sheet. They've got a billion and a half in cash. Uh, they continue to not have any short-term debt. I, I, I think it's a great long-term play, if not even a short-term. 
And finally, we can't leave out Chipotle surging in today's session, a continuation of the burrito blowout we witnessed yesterday after earnings. It's best day <laughs> since the beginning of the pandemic, Guy. Yeah, and to celebrate, I went out and got a burrito. Did you? Then I watched the Mets have a blowout. Yeah, of course I did. The Mets beat the Yankees last night, which made my stomach turn for other reasons. But I'll say mm -hmm. this. It traded seven times normal volume today. And the history over the last few months has been rallies like this need to be sold. I still think valuation is compelling on a forward basis. Karen thinks it's rich. She typically is right when we disagree, so I'll go with her. Yeah. Is Not it this time. I've been wrong. <laughs> Is it rich and deserved, Dan? Uh, I mean, maybe. I, I, again, we started this week talking about McDonald's earnings, and Tim mentioned it earlier today. I think some of the takeaways from these quick-serve restaurants are really interesting because it is bucking some of the trends that we're thinking about as it relates to U.S. consumer and the savings rate and the tick-up in credit and all this stuff that's going on here. So I think these data points are going to be really useful, but I also believe that you don't really want to chase this thing. We might be at the, like the closer of the start of the end, um, kind of like what Mike Wilson's staying here. I mean, I really do think there's another leg lower for the consumer. It's just getting started. We haven't seen unemployment tick up yet. I think that's coming soon. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. I'll go back to CCJ. Despite the world realizing with Russia, Ukraine, how short they are strategically on energy, uranium prices, or at least uranium stocks are actually lower than pre- Russia and Brazen. So CCJ, way to play it, a great way to play it. Karen. Yeah, I have a pairs trade, which is long OIH, short USO or the commodity oil, if you can do one of those. I just think the convergence is, the divergence has been too wide and they will converge. Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I think the lower meta goes on the opening tomorrow, the better the trading opportunity you might have buying that opening down, I don't know, five, six, seven percent. I think it probably closes up on the day in a green tape. Guy Adami. Shout out to Dan Quayle. As tenure yields go lower, DHI goes higher, Melms. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. Stay back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.